This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's... Booyah! 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 You can never let me have the last word. No! Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. So, we promised you guys guests in the upcoming weeks. That was a few weeks ago. Yeah. And today, we fulfill that promise. Yes, we have one of our upcoming guests on the air with us tonight. Uh, it seems we do. <laughs> <laughs> but before we jump into our interview, let's check out another one of Nikki's eavesdropping episodes of You Heard. This week's You Heard comes to us from Sammy's, which is like our favorite Chinese restaurant in the city. It's down on 6th Avenue. And I was walking in and I was meeting one of you. And I was early, as I always am. And I walked past this couple having dinner. And the one guy says to his lover, I feel like a hapless character in a Jane Austen novel. Who is Jane Austen? What do you mean, who is Jane Austen? You're not a reader. Jane Austen like wrote like only one of the greatest books of all time, Pride and Prejudice. She wrote Sense and Sensibility. She wrote Emma. She wrote like all these great, wonderful like 1800s books about just like life and love. But this guy said that he felt like a hapless character in a Jane Austen book. And I felt that that went very well with this week's kind of theme of unluckiness and finding oneself because her books usually have a happy ending (laughs) (laughs) not in the way that you think not in the way that you think (laughs) fair enough fair enough so that's this week's you heard as mentioned We have a very special guest this week with one of the most bizarre stories. It really, I mean, (laughs) it is a really, really bizarre story. When I first got the press release on this, I got to tell you, man, the first thing I thought of was like, this is an Adult Swim thing. Like, like it's going to be like some skit or something like that. Like, because we get so much stuff from Adult Swim. Right. Yeah. And I was, and then like, I'm reading through the story and I'm like, is this like, Something like Tim and Eric mixed along with... Almost like one of their their dark humor, yeah. Yeah, and then as I'm reading, I was like, holy shit, this is like a real thing. Yeah, no, this really, (laughs) really really happens. So, 
Erica Chase. Yes, she is a musician, um, a Los Angeles-based musician, um, who you know wasn't always a musician. She kind of took some detours on her life. You know, she wanted to be a teacher, and then like that kind of didn't work out. And then she always wanted to do music. Like ever since she was a little kid, music was her passion. And she and what well, and what made her pursue this this passion now later on in life? Well, since she wanted to do it for so many years. Well, she just by chance got hooked up with Dana Strum, who I know as being part of the band Slaughter yes. because that was one of like one of my hair metal bands back in the day when I was a kid. And she just got on a phone call with him, like her a friend of her father hooked them up and just, you know, hey, this girl is interested in becoming a musician. Can you give her some, you know, tips and stuff like that? The day, so she had this great conversation with Dana Strom about just like, you know, how to pursue music. Right. And she was like, man, she goes, I felt like really, really great about the call. And like, I felt like I was going to like, you know, maybe this is definitely something that's going to happen. And the next day. She was riding her bike to meet a friend for lunch. And the next thing she knows, she wakes up in the lifelight helicopter because she got hit by a fucking truck. <laughs> the day after, like, she decided to, like, change her life. So, like, you know how people are like, hey, man, give me a sign. Like, that's a pretty big fucking sign that, like, something needs to change. It what makes you wonder if God, if you're like, hey, God, if you think that I should make an album with a dude from Slaughter, give me a sign. And then all of a sudden you get hit by a truck. Is it a sign to do it or a sign like, hey, settle down a little bit? I think it would be a sign to do it. To just do it. Ride or die, man. Metal <laughs> or die. <laughs> so it's not it's not funny that she got hit by a truck. No, of course but it's not. just such a like who says they get hit by I literally say it three times a day. People come to my office three times a day at least and they say, How you feeling? And my go-to thing is, I feel like I got hit by right, a truck. Right, right. Because it's like something that like you don't think is ever really going to happen. I feel like if that was really the case, though, I really fucked up by not doing more of my life every time that I said that term, considering <laughs> that she only got hit by a truck once. She only, and then she went out and just changed and everything. And changed her whole life. Like, I mean, so, it's... Yeah, it, it was very inspiring to hear how, like, she took this, like, thing that, like, would have broken... You know, so many other people like well, literally, yeah, literally like I would have been like, yeah, I'm not going to like I would have been so timid like after that because like but no, like she just went and was like, no, this is what I'm going to do. And I don't like I'm going to do what I have to do to get there. And that's what she's doing right now. And it's it was very inspiring to like talk to her. This is the word I hear a lot about this woman. Yes, absolutely. Because this is like what the third time that I've heard this now. Yeah. Of course, our publicist said the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's. Roll that bean footage. <laughs> okay, Erica? Mm hmm Okay, great. Thanks so much for calling in. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, I do have any. Of course, of course. I, you know, I'd love to start off by talking about, um, you know, how you've been a music fan since age seven. You know, can you tell me if you remember, like, what the first music you ever remember hearing was? Um, I don't remember the first music I ever heard, but um, there are a lot of childhood photos of me from, you know, basically age, like, two on, and I'm either playing a toy guitar or making some kind of instrument out of pots and pans and 
um, just, I don't know, it was definitely an intuitive thing for me, and I just always felt drawn to it. Um, but when I was seven, I, I heard the Red Hot Chili Peppers under the bridge, and something okay. about that song and the melody and the vibe of it just really hit me more than anything had prior to that, and I just, I was like, I have to do that. I don't know what that is, but I have to do that. <laughs> and are you still a, a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan these days? I am, not not as much as I was, but um, sure. that, that song just... I don't know the way that the guitar arpeggiated part at the beginning and then the when the hook comes in and just I don't know it just did something to me. Well, that's the power of music, you know. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. I still have those moments today. I, I call it like the pull over the car songs. Like when I first heard Lord Royal was driving, and I've literally pulled my car over and said, what is that? And I love that. I live for those moments. Right, yeah, they're they're definitely great moments, especially for some of us who, you know, can't make music, so those are awesome moments. <laughs> so, you know, let's fast forward a little bit to right before, you know, your, your accident. You know, how did you first come to meet Dana Strum? I mean, I knew him from, you know, I grew up in the 80s, so hair metal was a huge thing for me, so I'm familiar with him because of that, but, like, had you been familiar with him before you met him, and how did you meet him? Not at all. Um, I, I was not familiar with him or that kind of music because I was, I was a really, really sure. little kid um, when all that was popular in the late 80s, early 90s. So um, I actually met him kind of randomly through this guy that was doing business with my dad out in Las Vegas where Dana's, from, where Dana's uh, been based for the last several years. And this guy had said, hey, you know, I know your daughter is thinking about getting into the music industry, and I, I know someone in the music industry. Maybe they could talk, and maybe he could give her some advice or just chat with her about things. And so my dad mentioned this to me, and, and I said, sure, that sounds great. Who's that? <laughs> so I, I had to Google him, and uh, all these long-haired pictures came up, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, he looks interesting. Um, <laughs> Sure, have him, have him give me a call. I don't, I don't really have uh, anything else going at the time. I had just gotten rejected from this teaching program um, right. a few weeks earlier, and I, I, I was really at, you know, square one again. I didn't know what I was going to do after I finished college, and I, I really was shutting down this inner voice that kept telling me to go and pursue music and be an artist, but I just felt like I had to do the responsible thing and use my education but once sure. I got rejected from this teaching program, I, I really was kind of like, all right, well, uh, I don't really have a plan B. I don't have a plan A. So right. I'm sure how this guy gave me a call. And uh, we spoke for about an hour. And I had never, even though I, I'm an L.A. native, I, I didn't know anyone in the music industry and in the entertainment industry that I could speak mm -hmm. to. So I, a lot of people have this kind of like preconceived notion that if you if you come from L.A. where the entertainment industry is based, like you probably know all these people, but I really didn't. So he asked me all sorts of interesting questions that had never been asked before, and um, I just thought it was it was it was just a really crazy phone call. And afterwards, I felt this 
kind of oppositional energy that hit me. It was elation mixed with fear. Mm-hmm. And and it, I, I really feel like I sort of sensed that not only was this phone call significant, but that something was about to happen and things were never going to be the same. So after sort of a sleepless night and feeling this really weird mix of energy, I I woke up the next day and, and set out on my bicycle to go meet a friend, and uh, I got hit by a truck. Oh, and <laughs> that's just wow. I mean, like, <laughs> it's, that's yeah, so crazy. <laughs> it was definitely <laughs> definitely crazy. Um, and I, I don't recall the actual impact of the accident because my body just went into complete shock and I saw that sort of famous white light that I've read about other people that have had similar near-death experiences. Um, Your body's, you know, fight or flight or freeze and it it just Mm -hmm. tries to protect you from danger. And so, but apparently I I wasn't wearing a helmet, which I don't condone, so definitely wear helmets, people. (laughs) Um, I... I flew up into the truck's windshield and shattered it and then rolled off onto the street and the bike was in, you know, so many pieces. Right. And my, my first recollection was kind of coming to in a flight for life helicopter. And I had an oxygen mask over my face and EMTs, you know, hooking me up to, whatever they needed to do. And, uh, right. But it's weird because I, I felt like I wasn't even <clears throat> really in my body. I felt like I was kind of watching this happen from another place. It's, it's odd. I really feel like you, when you have a near-death experience, you're sort of temporarily in between two worlds. It's really right. odd. And, and, you know, how long was your recovery period for that? You know, fortunately, I mean, if you saw the damage of the accident, you definitely wouldn't think someone survived, let alone survived and is is, is fully functional today. But I, I fortunately sustained relatively minor injuries. I had a bad concussion, and I injured mm-hmm. my left foot pretty badly, and I walked with a cane for, for a bit. Um, but other than that and a few minor scrapes and stuff, I, I really – came out of that pretty unscathed so within a month month and a half I was I was good to go and then you know and here here you are with with your debut single and video Paris you know what was the writing process like you know after your accident when you really decided to this is what I need to do with my life because I mean that's a pretty big damn sign I guess you know so exactly yeah (laughs) I think I'd been shutting out my own signs for quite a long time and was just always lived my life sort of for other people and just tried to do the right thing Mm -hmm. tried to overachieve was was the kid that was never in trouble was always doing extra credit was always doing all these things but i I was doing all these things to, like, overcompensate for the fact that I was really, like, not letting myself be my true self. And that's being a music artist and creating and taking this crazy road less traveled that's so unpredictable and just really (laughs) unusual. But um, (laughs) the, the... once I, you know, had this accident, it was an immediate realization and decision to be like, okay, this happened for 
uh, reason, and I'm going to go and pursue this. And I met Dana, and he saw some potential, and we decided to go on this journey. Um, but with Paris, I had a slightly different writing process for Paris than I do um, with all of my other songs. Uh, usually, when I write a song, it's not a, it's not a conscious thing. I don't sit down and say, I'm going to go write a song now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's I feel like I'm just this vessel, and I have to be just tuned to the right channel to like let something flow through me instead of trying to force something out. Right. So once once that happens, it's really quick for me. It's usually within 20 to 30 minutes, a uh, complete song flows. And um, if it doesn't, if it's if it feels like a struggle, then I I just think that it's not ready and right. I just do something else but I was driving in my car and because we're always driving in our cars in LA <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was listening to some music some instrumental music and the first line and melody of that line uh, I thought I left you in Paris just like blurted out of my mouth and was like where is this coming from okay <laughs> and it was so bizarre and since I was close to my apartment I just decided to write this song that was sort of like starting itself early <laughs> so right. <laughs> I, I walked in and grabbed my guitar and and Paris came out and, and it was also a quick 20 minutes or so and uh with all of my songs I don't realize what they're about until afterwards and oh, okay <laughs> so it's <laughs> it's pretty enlightening and, and how was it working with Dana? You know, was was it easy for the two of you to gel, especially because, um, you know, you didn't, you weren't familiar with his music and, and things like that. So, you know, what was that process like working with him? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think that just because Dana's had a successful career in sort of hard rock, mm-hmm. metal genres, that's kind of all he does. But him and I bonded from day one because we're both just Beatles fanatics and and we're just both really into like good old songwriting hooks and melodies and he's he's such a musical genius and he's pushed me beyond my limits that I I didn't even realize that I had set for myself and he's (laughs) challenged me so much in my songwriting and my singing and my playing and and every aspect of of being an artist and uh he he really, it's crazy because I write all my songs on acoustic guitar and I don't think of the big picture while I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. I've heard Taylor Swift say that when she writes a song, she, she kind of does think of the big picture. She thinks of how it's going to sound when it's recorded and with all the stuff. Yeah. I, I kind of don't. I, I just, I, I write it and and it's all good. And then when I get in the studio with Dana and he produces it and arranges it and, and then when it's all done and mastered, I'm like, oh, my God, that's exactly how it's supposed to sound. It sounds like it's always been that. So I don't know. There's yeah. something really special about it. That's great. And, and of course, making the video, you know, what was it like working with Chris? And, like, was it hard to make a video? I mean, I, can only, I can't imagine what that process would be like. Yeah, that really came about in a really strange, also organic way, um, <laughs> which seems to be the theme in my <laughs> So I'm just going to go with it. But I I had seen a video that Chris did for Keith Urban and Eric Church for a song called Raise Em Up. And it's a black and white video, and it's really cool. And 
and artsy and, and sort of different than a lot of the, the pop country videos out there. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked him up and realized he had done the, everyone from Carrie Underwood to Lady Annabellum, tons of Keith videos. And I, and I said to Dana, I said, listen, I know we're thinking about making a video for Paris. I really want this guy to direct it. And Dana's like, all right, well, I mean, do you know him? <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, uh, I don't know him either. So let's, uh, how, how are we going to get him to direct your video? <laughs> and, uh, I was like, you know what? Let's just, let's just see if we can find his contact information online and, and just send him an email and, and go for it. I mean, the worst he could say is no or not respond. And, we got nothing to lose, so right, yeah. we did just that. And to my surprise, he he got back to us within like a, a day, I think that day. And he was like, "Listen, you know, I really love this song, and there's something really different about you, and I want to do your video." And it just really happened organically, and he presented a treatment to us that had something similar in what Dana and I were discussing for it, and it just seemed like it was it was meant to be. And from our initial uh, call with him to the finished video was like 30 days, and it just, oh my gosh, <laughs> it was just right. And we're actually about to we're scheduling right now shooting a follow up video with him, and I'm so excited. He's such an amazing talent, and I have nothing but good things to say about him as a person, and I'm so grateful that he believes in me, too. Oh, that's awesome. Well, very good. And he did, you know, and, and him saying, you know, that there's something unique about you. I mean, your your voice is so different from what, you know, is on the radio and what everybody else thinks of voices and things. So, I mean, mm-hmm. how... How is it, you know, working with a voice like that? Is Do you approach things differently with, you know, such a unique voice? Um, I don't know if I a- approach things differently. This is just the voice that comes out of me. It's, it, right. it, it is unusual, and it took me a while to embrace it. I was bullied for it when I was younger, and right. I let that affect me for a number of years until I realized that, there's no there's no point in that and I need to let that go and just and and there's something really special about not sounding like everybody else and not sounding like your typical female artist and sure. and and I'm so grateful for having this different unique sound um but uh yeah so I just kind of I just kind of go with it but what's what's cool is that I'm still learning about my voice every day i mean sometimes i surprise myself and I'm like, oh i could hit that no cool I didn't know that. <laughs> or you know and, and right and that's the fun thing as long as you keep you keep evolving as a, a vocalist as a songwriter as a musician i mean that's that's awesome right exactly and you know those those people who, you know, bullied you, because sometimes, you know, bullies and naysayers can often be doing the life that you should have been living, you know, all along. So is there anything that you would say to those kids or say that grade school teacher who told you not to sing? You know, if you could say something to them, is there some anything that you would say? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and like you said, I think I think everyone has some sort of experience of someone telling them they're not good enough or whatever and it only matters how you speak to yourself because someone else is just projecting their own insecurities on you and it has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with you at all 
And once you realize that, it's easier to let that go. But the important thing is how we speak to ourselves, and and we have to be kind to ourselves. And we're constantly, if we, if we just go through our day, we don't even consciously realize how mean we are to ourselves. We'll mm-hmm. catch a glimpse in the mirror and say, "Oh, I need to lose weight. Oh, I should change my hair." Oh, right. Uh, uh, and if we just <laughs> kind of replace those things with something positive, I mean, that really that is profound. Right. I mean, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, and anybody could relate to that. I mean, I think that's, mm-hmm. that's absolutely true. Like, niceness starts at home, you know, with yourself. With yourself. I mean, the, the, honestly, like, you're you're the one that is the toughest critic on yourself. So if if someone says you're not good enough but but you believe in yourself, that won't even affect you at all. You'll let that slide right off. Right. Absolutely. And finally, you know, what's next for you, you know, beyond the next video that you're, you know, in the process of working on, you know, what, what's next for you? Um, yeah, we're, we're going to shoot the next video and release the next single. And we have a bunch of singles. We have, you know, an, an album's worth of music. But in this day and age, it's, it's kind of a new way of delivering music to the fans. And mm-hmm. we're just kind of give people a song at a time to digest and, Maybe we'll package it up at some point, but um, and then we're also getting some live um, live touring opportunities rolling in. So we're just kind of assessing all of that, and I hope to be on tour um, late summer and fall, and just kind of do that. I've I've never toured before, so it's something I'm really looking forward to doing. And yeah, just make more music and just keep. Uh, interacting with my fans and I'm really grateful for all of the support and love on on Twitter and social media and it's it really keeps me going awesome well it was so awesome talking to you Erica I wish you all the best I look forward to you know checking out some of your tour dates and seeing what's next for you so thanks so much for talking to the higher guard show thank you guys so much for having me all right have a great day you too bye-bye all right bye-bye And we're back. <laughs> the bean footage has been put away till next time. That's right. And Bud gets to go and lay down in a comfy corner in front of a fireplace, hopefully. <laughs> I like that dog. I know you do, Pim. So, let's talk about the interview. Yes, let's. What do you have to say? Um, I got like these bullet points that I wrote down. And just, I know you're looking at me like all weird right now. But like certain words as she was going through the interview with mm-hmm. you. Like something like the word, like the motivation behind this. Like, like, why do you think so many people don't pursue their dreams until they get to like a near death experience? And then all of a sudden it's like this major rush to try to just cram in all that you can. And they make these people make the most out of their lives because I guess they've come close Right, yeah. To death, and then they're just like, oh, nope, I, it's like a jump start. But why do you think other people aren't motivated enough? Because it's it, they're fear, they're, they're fearful. Of why? That, like, they're going to look foolish, I think would be, like, up at the top. Like, that 
they're going to fail. Because, like, nobody wants to go into something and fail. You know what I mean? Like, Yes. But I'll also tell you this. <laughs> if I was up at the top, I wouldn't be worried about how people viewed me. I would wear a kilt and just be like, I made it up to the top, man. Like I would, <laughs> top of what, though? You just said, like, people are afraid to make it to the top of whatever goals they set. Hmm. Like, I feel like, and I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's different in a way. Because there are a lot of similarities as we go through this that I've actually have with Erica. Okay. So, maybe it's that, you know... The, the fact that we both had an accident at some point in our lives that now it's like, all right, if a goal set, the goal has to be done. And if the goal isn't done, then the whole thing is counted as right, a failure. Because I think like if you have this near death experience where like, OK, if you're dead, you're dead. But like if you come back, like there's like almost like a feeling like you came back for a reason. You know, like she doesn't remember the impact. She doesn't remember like a lot. Like she just remembers waking up in the life flight helicopter a couple like a little while later and stuff but like you remember like hey man this is bad like when people are telling you like you got hit by a truck or you fell off of something or whatever something fell and hit you like what insert whatever you know catastrophic event could happen and like if you really if you live through that i think there's a feeling of like i'm here for a reason and maybe the reason isn't to work this like pencil pushing job or pursue a dream that I just thought would be, you know, the right thing to do. Like, I don't know, be an accountant. Like I thought the first, you know, 10 years of my professional career is what I was going to try to do, you know? So it's like, it's just, you, you're brought here for a reason, man. You're, you, you got to stay here. And you got like that awakening jolt. Yeah. And the rest of the people just don't have that. So they just kind of float through. Yeah, exactly. And it's like something that like, Unless it happened to you, you're not going to understand that. Like, you're not going to tell somebody, like, some person living in the middle of, the like, the country, like, I'm going to do this. Because, like, they're like, no, I've always lived in this town, and this is what I do, and I'm very safe, and I only stay in my circle. I feel like you describe... <laughs> <laughs> no, don't say it. <laughs> I'm not even going to, but you know what. I know no, who I'm right, describing. All right, all right. <laughs> I love you, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about processes. Because I know you and I both do creative stuff, mm-hmm. right? It's not just this show. It's like other things and stuff like that that yeah. we do. And um, the process that Erica had spoke about was like a song just comes to her as opposed to like, you know, her sitting down and trying to flush it out. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was really surprising to me that like, you know, she only will write if she has like the end game and like if she can get like an entire song out. Which is weird because I feel like a lot of people would be like, oh, and, and and I don't think it's that this is the wrong way to go. No, I like I I kind of like the idea of like, all right, I'm going to make a song. I'm going to put it out. Yeah. And that's it. But like I would say the majority of people up until fairly recently are like, I'm not going to, you know, just put out one song. Like I have to wait till I have a whole entire album done. And once the album is done, I'll put out the whole entire thing. Yeah. Where this is a much different approach it's more of like um like what like like rather than just putting the whole puzzle together it's like just dropping down the first piece and then adding another one to it and so on because she doesn't know what her final album is going to sound like because she doesn't have the whole thing done right she works piecemeal kind of so you just don't it's like one of those 
if you want to see this story continue in the cave, go to page 32. If you want to see... <laughs> yeah, so like yeah, it's almost like river, a choose-your-own-adventure, yeah. Because there's no way of I knowing. I those books as a kid. Yeah, I know they were great. But I feel like people used to, like, scribble out the numbers and then put, like, different numbers in those books. Oh, I don't So know. you would, like, be in the middle of reading a story and it would make no sense at all because <laughs> somebody had, like, used a marker and changed, like, you know, go to page 38 and you'd go to page 42 and you'd be like, how is there, like, a... You know, a stew being made. Like we were just stew being made. I don't know, like man. What choose your advent- choose your gravy adventure? <laughs> choose your choose your adventure for fat kids. It was like, oh, mm, is that a cup of gravy? <laughs> Whatever. Oh my god! But my point of that whole just tirade that I took, I don't know how we got to like gravy and soup, but my point of that whole thing was. Is that I feel like we all kind of get ideas like that spark that says this is an idea. Mm-hmm. But like to me personally, I don't think that I could just put out one piece. Like I have to put out the whole story like from beginning to end. So we've done this show. Mm-hmm. And even like in advertising, like if, if I'm working on a campaign, like I will say, all right, this is my starting point, but I need a beginning, middle, and end right. before I even consider releasing this. Right, but it's like she's doing it all in one fell swoop, though, and like that's what I think is just so impressive because like when the stri- when the moment hits, like when she was talking about when she wrote her her debut single, Paris, you know, which you're going to be able to find on our website. Yep. Um, she just the idea, like she got the line, and then like she immediately like went home and you know just started to like work it out where like you know there's been a time like even like a couple weeks ago you weren't here and i was just like where was i i think you're right like your sleep thing and like i just got this like spark of an idea for a story and i was like man like that's a really good idea and like some usually when something like that happens is like i'll write it down in my journal and hope that like i remember to read through it later i'll write it on like a sticky with like an idea but like there's nothing but like by the time i get to like actually sitting down in front of my computer with a blank page i forgot like what like because i'll envision i'll come up with an idea and i'll think of like in my head like it's just like boom like the, a movie like instantly like plays in my head of like what i want like a scene to be or a story to be but chances are i'm too lazy to stop what i'm doing and like grab that muse and like run with it you know what i mean right where like and like I think that's that's what like is so impressive to me is that like she's getting this like strike and she's t- and she's like striking while the iron's hot where like most people are going to be like I'll have this idea I'll come back to it because I'm in the middle of you know watching TV or doing whatever it is that one does when they're left alone to their own devices or working or whatever you know probably watching TV <laughs> it'll probably be something like ridiculous that we could probably pause. Right, for you to do something like that. But but it's like, we ain't pausing shit. But the thing was, (laughs) like, you know, when I got this, like, strike for, like, an idea the other day, I just was like, you know what, I'm going to, like, write about this. Like, because I was, like, writing in my journal, and then it was like, you know what, this is a story. And I was like, oh, I'll come back to it. I'm like, no, you're not going to come back to it. So just go. And I banged out, like, a thousand words of the story where it was, like, enough for me to, like, I can go back to it and know and, like, get right back into where I was going. Like, and that's the, the, the key of, like, just sticking with it. Yeah, you know, when I was writing the jokes, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I can't type nearly as fast as I can think. And, right. I, and I can't even write anymore because, I mean, it's been so many years since I actually 
use the pen for taking notes that my handwriting will be neat for like the first two <laughs> or three words and then hopefully those it's two or three now. words will launch you into what the rest of the thing is about because if I lose you before the hook you're gonna have no clue what you're reading and I know because I don't know what I'm reading I love that like when we give like Tyler cards and stuff we write like our sweet little like you there's know, always a note there's always a yeah, note like or we're, an we're note people. yeah like we're always like writing something sweet and like probably snarky and stuff and like we'll take our turns writing and then like she'll always hug like one of us and she'll be like I don't know what dad's person is and I'm like I don't either because like because like I'll do is like I'll read yours just to see so that like when she because I know whoever you give a card to is inevitably going to say like I can't read dad's writing well you know let me just say you should have been a doctor yeah, I should have been. And you know what? I would not have keep going to idiot doctors all the time. I <laughs> sure, you would be able to just like diagnose myself, <laughs> go in there like uh, open up the hatch, and like st- Steven Seagal, just like going ah, or Rambo, just open myself up and stick my fingers in there, tinker around a little. I got it. Yeah, just need a little itch. <laughs> Everything is good now. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take a poker out of the fire and just seal that up. There you go. And Shot of whiskey, and I'll be fine tomorrow morning. Put my red headband on, and let's go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I would not be fine to go. But, no. but I like I like the idea of her being able to just do work, produce work, mm-hmm. and then even though it's like a small dose, at least it's a dose. And I started thinking about that too because I was thinking about the business end of the whole situation. And that particular, you know, part of it, it just makes sense from a marketing standpoint. If, you know, I was having this conversation with people from work. We were talking about David Bowie and Prince, mm-hmm. both of them. And, and God rest their souls. And I was telling my, my office mate, like, you know, it's weird because I would say maybe six months before Bowie died, like there was like a quick little story, like a, a clip of him like on the streets, like mm-hmm. like Fox News had it. And I had told you, I was like, we should go down to the village and try to see Bowie. It's kind of weird that he hasn't had a concert in so many years. Right, yeah. And then six months, within six months, he was dead. And I was like, holy cow. I'm like, you know, before that time where that story came on, it'd been years since I started thinking about Bowie. Like I haven't thought of Bowie in years. He'll come up on my iPod. But I'm just not expecting him to come out with new music right, because, or anything yeah, like that. Right. So he, he's done. And it's kind of like, well, there's no point in getting my hopes up as far as a David Bowie tour happening. Right, because it had been so long. Right. So so you kind of forget about him. The same thing with Prince. We the, the other thing we were saying was, when is the last time anyone has talked about Prince, really? Like in the live aspect of like new music and things like right. that, right? And he has put out a lot of albums, mm-hmm. like since Raspberry Beret. <laughs> like, because I love that's, that's where you go. Like, that's, that's, that, that's where you go. That's the cutoff mark there, <laughs> and everything before <laughs> is Prince positive, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> But I mean, and I'm, that's, I'm not taking anything away from. I loved Prince no, when, course, he was, yeah. when he was around, and even if I didn't listen to the new stuff, I would still go and see him in sure, concert. Absolutely, so, yeah. great show, used to be. But anyway, oh, God, <laughs> God needed another rock star. Apparently, <laughs> that's a hell of a band you got, sir. Oh my! <laughs> so, it winds up being that like 
you know, we, we were both trying to think, we're like, Jesus Christ, man, it's been like a hundred years since anybody even mentioned anything about Prince. And now all of a sudden it's like, it's like the biggest loss. And it's like, well, all right, it's a big loss. Is it the biggest loss though? Because seriously, when is the last time you heard anybody talking about that guy? And the reason why, and this is where it all comes full circle. Bring it back full circle, because you're losing me. <laughs> it's because it would take these people forever to release material, because they won't just release songs every once in a while. If you do 12 songs on an album, which is about the average, mm-hmm. you're looking at one song a month instead of one album a year. And I think that that was part of the problem with Prince. Like, when he left... Like, when he did the, like, formerly known as, and, like, he was just, like, that symbol and everything. Because I just read, like, an article in Entertainment Week, because I'm, like, so behind on my reading that, like, the cover story is Prince's death. <laughs> like, that's how far behind I am. I have, But it was about, like, how, you know, when he when he switched to that, it was because he was fighting with the record labels. And I'm... I'm I'm like 92% certain it was because of he was producing so much music because it was something that he did all the time. Like they said that there is like tons and tons of music that like has not been released that that, that he has that he just like made in his home studio and whatever that like, you know, he's going to be around like Tupac because he's going to have a new song all the time because there's that much of a catalog that people don't even know. But his part of the, the fight was that, like, you know, back then, the record labels were like, no, you do one album, you tour on it, and we get two years, we coast on an album for, like, a year. Like, that's what it used to be. Well, they don't want to saturate the market either. I right? know that for and a that's fact. Like, but, like, that's kind of, like, he was kind of, like, foreshadowing what's happening now, which I think you're about to get into, is, like... Because that's where his fight came from, like, when he was, like, you know, when he wrote Slave on his cheek because he was a slave to the to the machine of the music industry because he had all this stuff and he was like, let's just get it out there. Like, I just want to make it. This is my livelihood. This is what I do. And the record labels are like, no. And then like, ultimately it was that kind of thinking that caused the record label to shift that in the way that it has into like the current climate that you're about to get into. Right. But I don't even think the music industry is really doing it. I feel like musicians are doing it. Right. But the music industry, like this is what musicians are like, okay, because there's so many options now with the internet where you don't have to go through a major label to get distribution. You can distribute it right on your social media page, on your YouTube page, on your own website, like on like SoundCloud with you don't need a record label anymore. Right. But record companies still are doing that thing where they're just releasing, you know, just one whole album at a time. They're not they're not they're not releasing a song a month for 12 months. But they're more lenient toward people who want to do that. Because recently. But this is this is the way to go, though, from a marketing standpoint. When. All right. Let's think of it like this. When I get an album, mm-hmm. because I just downloaded a bunch of new albums this week, mm-hmm. including the new Radiohead, which is kick-ass. Love, love, love you the new Radiohead. You do love this. You I really, really do love the it. new Radiohead. And I really do love the Bruce Dickinson solo album that I downloaded too from, <laughs> from 1986, like- <laughs> but whatever, I don't care. Is it from 86? No, I don't know. It's like from it like the, it's like late 90s or early I don't know. Whatever. It's whatever. Tommy Lee did bad things to Bruce Dickinson's wife. Nikki Six. All right, fine. But still, badness, badness. <laughs> so anyway, um, 
and I know that album too. So I'll listen to that. Let's use that album. I mean, I know it. I haven't heard it in years. And I'm like, going, all right, cool. I want to hear it. But as I'm listening to the first song, I'm trying to think ahead to how cool the second song is. When I'm on a second song, I'm thinking ahead of how cool the third song is. Because I'm not sitting there digesting it because I want all of it. Like, I want to burn through that album as fast as I can and be like, oh, it was awesome. And then listen to it again. Right. As a whole. Yeah. So it's hard to like pick out a song and be like, oh, and I love this song. I'm just going to digest it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after I'm done digesting this song, I'm going to go on to the next one. Cause when you have an album, nobody like listens to an album song. And then I'm like, let me, let me like give that a second listen. And then they might See, say, let me that. give it a third listen. And then they go on to the next one. Most See, people, when they do that, yeah. really, I say most people, when they get an album, they just tear, tear through. right through it. See, and like, it's a part of me, like, it's kind of like the same reason, like, I go to concerts and like, I almost want to have my notebook out to like take notes because I used to do music reviews, like album reviews and concert reviews and stuff. So, like, my brain, when I'm listening to something, like, I want to listen to it and be like, okay, like, I want to get behind, like, what the story is because that's just kind of like how I've been trained over the years. So, yeah, and I could see that totally. Yeah. But I think the majority of people, when they get like a full album, are, I'm not going to say overwhelmed by it, but maybe they're a little overzealous where they just want to just consume all of it. Yeah. No, I totally get that. And I'm the same way sometimes too. And that can be frustrating sometimes because there will be songs that I'll listen to and I'll think like, these are my favorite tracks on this album. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a year later I'll be like, man, you know what? Like, I didn't really give like track number nine a good listen yeah. because I always stop at track number four because that's the money shot yeah. for me. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, this is like a hidden gem. But in this scenario where somebody put out a song like whenever they feel like it. Or let's say, again, let's go back to the idea that the structure of an album is 12 songs. If you just put out one song a month, it's easier because I would think as a musician, you only have to come up with one song a month. Mm-hmm. And like, it, it, I think it becomes more regimented so that you know like this is when it's due. I don't have to worry about it. And next month it's going to be the same thing and so on. Right. Like instead of having like the album as a whole as the pressure right you're like able to focus on the songs which you know i would think would be like kind of easier to digest easier to digest yep and i also think like as an artist not as like yeah right but i think also as a consumer you might not necessarily like an artist per se like hearing them upon the first time but let's say if there's like a deep cut from somewhere that comes out that would be like if somebody released music every month and it got more exposure, like each each particular song got more exposure. They might turn around and be like, oh, man, I really do like this band. And then they'll give it a shot because right. every month they're being exposed to this person. Right. And it's just keeping like the interest because I mean, and like I know that this is like a big thing that like in the hip hop community, like this is like a big thing. Like, you know, the hip hop community. I do. I do. Because are you a fly girl? No, I'm not a fly girl. <laughs> what is this? But I'm just saying like I cover I cover like 
a wide range of like music stuff sometimes like yes. at work. So for instance, like, you know, I covered like a bunch of just like, Hey, this person released a song and like, it's off their upcoming album. That's going to come out in August. But like, here's the first track or here's a band that released their album, you know, today, but like three songs have been released. Like it's just a different way of like releasing singles where it's like, you're building momentum for the eventual album. Yes. By getting people behind the individual songs. Right. But I would like to see the individual songs just be it. And at the end, you have a compilation and you say, that's the album. Yeah, exactly. And that's what like some of these things that like, that's what like I'm seeing like a lot of people do. Well, I'm glad because I like that idea. Well, I'm, then music industry, you've got Tom's stamp of approval. It, well, if this is the direction you're going to go. But I have a feeling it'll be more the artists that want to go that way than the music industry because I don't know. I don't know, man. Not a fan of them. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I have this thing about bullies, too. Yeah. Yeah. She was always like, because Erica has, you know, a very unique voice. And it's, you know, it's kind of throaty. It's kind of deep. And it was a voice that when she was seven... Her, te- her music teacher, because she wanted to be, like, she knew at the age of seven that she wanted to do something music. And, you know, when she would sing in, like, school and stuff like that, the teacher was like, you can't be a singer. Like, stop. Like, just give up on it. And then school kids, being the assholes that they are, picked on her for that because she didn't sound the way that the other singers did. And I remember we had a girl when I was in, when I was in school. You know, we always did plays and stuff because that was like a huge thing in like our grade school and everything. And we always had like there were these two girls that were quote unquote best friends, but they both were like the quote unquote best singers of the class. And the one girl would sing. I mean, we're in like sixth grade, right? And she's singing like Phantom of the Opera tunes. She's singing like these show tunes. Good. In my head, like I remember being like, my God, her voice. But like in retrospect, like for being in sixth grade which is what like 11 12 years old it's a young it was amazing like her but but like being a kid who's you know listening to new kids on the block or you know hair metal at that point which i was doing like it was you're like come on now like rebecca go sit down you know what i mean but she went on to like an event like because it was just because so basically the thing that you just said about bullies you were like come on just sit down you stupid opera singer and your songs nobody knows but i never like bullied her about it but it was just like because it was different because kids are assholes well you know bullying comes in many forms i mean you rolling your eyes and being like you know ugh, the king and i again rebecca Get over it. Backstreet for life. Backstreet for life. They weren't even a thing when I was a kid. Thank you very much. Yeah, right. They weren't. We had new kids, man. OG. OG boy bands. (laughs) (laughs) All right. NG for no go, maybe. That's about it, man. (laughs) OG. Get the hell out of here. But still, like, it's just a sign. Like, I remember, like, there were people that, like, made, like, 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 Rebecca was always just, like, like, she was very prim and proper, and she was, like. Well, yeah, she was an opera singer. And it was, like, it was, like, wow. But, like, and then there was, like, the other one that was just, she was, she would, like, they were in such competition with each other. Mm. So, like, you almost, like, were wishing that, like, one would get, like, something over <laughs> the other. And, like, when they did, like, the fallout was just, like, wow. It, it, it's so weird because in my head now, I think you might have made a mistake. And Rebecca might have been a midget undercover in your school. 
And just like, and like her, her like holding tell is the fact that she doesn't know like any like new music. She just knows old show tunes. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, "Hello, Dolly," and kids no. are like, "What?" No, she only ever did like like I remember she did a lot of Phantom of the Opera, and like I remember like when I when I first saw the movie and got familiar with like the music on my own, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like this was stuff that like I heard being done like in like by sixth a sixth grader, grader. yeah, or a thirty year old midget that is dressed <laughs> like a in like Granimals or whatever you kids had back then. Granimals? What the hell is that? <laughs> your underoos and your... We had underoos. Granimals was the outside version of underoos. For who? I don't ever remember anything well, like All that. kids. So like they had like uh, fashion things and like let's say they had like a little turtle on the collar. They'd have like a little turtle on the pants. I want So you'd like be that. like going, oh, like this goes with this and you can match. And it was like mixing matches too. Do they come in adult sizes? They really, really should because, because we're trying planning... to explain color theory to you <laughs> about clothes. Because we're planning like a beach vacation. So if I could find like some kind of seahorse or black. <laughs> we're from New York. The old, you have one rule that you have to live by in this city. Unless you're a like tourist farmer, then you wear black. You wear black. On a beach vacation. You wear black and people come up to you like, hey, New York. And you're like, yep. Boat they know. Life. They know. Why would you even think, what color am I going to wear? What color are you going to wear? Because I'm picturing, I'm picturing like Alcapoco flower prints and things like that. Who? Like, just like, <laughs> like when you picture like, I don't know, Alcapoco, like you pick, like I'm picturing like my mom when they went to Alcapoco when I was a kid in like mid eighties and like my mom wore these, like, actually she wore this outfit that I wore to work one day for like, we had like a customer service week and they had these like tourist out like they had like a contest for like dressed like a tacky tourist and I won because I wore one of the outfits that my mom had worn like 10 years before. Oh my god! And it was like these big flower prints and stuff like that's what I'm picturing. Well, let me tell you something. If it goes, it comes to the fact where we actually do go on this vacation, which we will. Yes, we better. I'm getting some Hawaiian shirts. I'm gonna definitely Dude, get I've some Hawaiian shirts. Dude, I've been telling you you should be wearing a Hawaiian shirt no, this whole man. time. No, I can't be that character all the time. But you can't because you're the dude, man. I, you're the dude. There's too much dudeness. There's, there's never way, enough dudeness. There's, there's definitely there's no a, such thing as too much dude. There's a dude limit. There's, there's a, definitely a dude limit. And I feel like I slammed on the gas and blew right through that limit. Because everybody's going to abide because it's the dude. They're man. not. They're going to be like, what is with this guy? It is ridiculous. Anyway. Anyway. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, how about we get into a did you know? I think that sounds like a good time. All right, let's see what happens. <laughs> Here's hoping. Did you know? For those of you keeping track at home, this is only take two of the did you know segment. Not airing all this, right? Just this part. Okay. All right, so... St- <laughs> you think I'm going to air all of that first did you know attempt that had like... All of those weird, like, punctuation marks that were making me just stop in the middle of a sentence and wonder, like, (laughs) it's like rolling up to a stop sign at not even a corner, just like in the middle of, like, a one-way street, and there's, like, no traffic, and you're just standing there, and you're looking around, like... Is there a camera or something? Like, who put this stop sign here? And you know what you need to do? 
you need to like raise the point size on <laughs> your reading material because it would be so much easier for you. Like when I print things out, like mine is so big because like I'm half oh, blind. Oh, oh my, mine, Mario Lopez Pascali. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's easier to read if it's like a bigger print. Like that is like a super tiny font size. Well, maybe I have good man eyes and I can see things like a hawk. You don't. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get on with it. Please, let's do it. We're going to have to do like a take three of Did You Know? I don't have three in Listen, man. We cannot meet our quota every week on <laughs> Did You Know edits. Like, it's crazy. Like, we should have one of those signs like they have in a factory. Like, zero days since the last, like, fa- like fatality. I almost said fatality. But, like, blank days since the last accident. Like, you know how, like, whatever it is, like, the safety, like, in factories has. It's, like, days I without. I know that sign. Days without, like, <laughs> triple. Triple edits on triple Did edits. You Know. <laughs> You know, we should just call this segment Triple Edits. Now for this week's Triple Edits, because <laughs> we know it's going to be a train wreck. But let us stop talking about the Did You Know and actually do the Did You Know, which is basically very relatable to how Erica got her start in the music business. So it's like it was like a crash course, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So in 2015, WNYC set up an interactive graph to keep track of all the traffic deaths that occurred in New York City. By March 19th, there were 45 deaths. By June 5th, about 10 weeks later, there were 100 deaths. And by October 15th, about 130 days later, we we, we reached 200 traffic fatalities. That's a lot, I think. That is a lot. WNYC. Okay, (laughs) moving right along. Well, well, I I mean, I agree with you. I don't know how much further I could take that, though. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This is my great eyesight at work. WNYC adds some extra context to the data. At the end of September 2014, 190 people had been killed in traffic crashes in New York City compared to 203 at the same point last year. In 2013, because that was 2014 data. Yes. The death toll has risen for one group, cyclists, with more than twice as many killed this year than last year. That's a mm-hmm. lot. Like, that's that's a big... That is a lot. And it, and it still drives me goddamn crazy that in this city... We just allow people to take out bikes without knowing anything about traffic. But that's anywhere, I think. Like, but it, that's, that is ridiculous. Here more than ever with the crazy traffic patterns. Sure. And the just pedestrians that don't look anywhere. And, and L.A., where, where Erica happened. I mean, like, it's the same way because L.A. It's is a big city. And it's way, way more car-centric than here. Where, like, people dr- people don't generally drive here. Yeah, but the streets are always filled with cars, and the problem with the cars here in the city is, is that our streets aren't maintained with really good street signs. Like, there aren't, you don't see, like, dotted white lines so people know where the lanes are. You might see them, and then they fade away, and you don't know where they are. Because it's a free-for-all. Like, every street is a free-for-all, basically. Right. So you start with a three-lane highway, and then by the time you get to a point where the lines are gone, 
it's now two lanes where people zigzagging or all five. over the place. <laughs> or five. Exactly. Because people just assume that, well, since there's no lines, I'm probably able to park space, yeah. you know, on a street like this. But, you know, it's just weird that the city does not force cyclists to get some kind of certification to allow them. And it is still mind-blowing to me that city bike would just say to anybody, look, man, if you could get the card and stick it in the machine, you could take a bike and just go about your business. Because I'm not surprised that the number of vets went up as much as it did. But I'm kind of, I mean, especially given that, like, the city has made, I mean, like, if I was a cyclist, I would be pretty happy living, like, not pretty happy, but I mean, like, the city has become extremely biker friendly because they've created biker lanes on major portions of roads here which you know isn't which which is a major feat given that we've just talked about how the streets are where like you know any street could be like it's a three-lane road but like we're gonna make it four or five because we could fit as many cars because cabbies are just batshit crazy right so you know i mean it's i don't know well i just think it's nuts i think this should definitely be a safety course Right, and like, and of course, you should always wear a helmet, as Erica like very profusely wanted to get across. Was you know, I mean, but but maybe she wouldn't have been a musician if she had a helmet on. Yeah, because it might not have been as serious an accident, and then she might have just been like, going, been, "Oh, no. that was a close." It might have been less serious if she had a helmet on. But I'm saying she might not have pursued her dream of becoming. Okay. You know what I mean? Sure. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, friends, <laughs> cycling is a dangerous sport and a nuisance to some New Yorkers, such as myself. However... And isn't that the most important thing? It really is, at the end of the day, because... Tom is the only person that lives in New York City. According to Tom. <laughs> <laughs> However, if the result of a crash brings along a successful music career, sign me up for the next two-wheeled adventure. Otherwise, I'll just keep my feet on the asphalt as opposed to on the pedals. And that is this week's Did You Know? Did you know? The thought of you on a bike would be very scary because now, like, instead of just being, like, a linebacker walking down the sidewalk, you would be, like, a linebacker on two wheels, which is faster than walking. You could take out a lot more people on a a bike. (laughs) I'd want a moped like a... That's like, so badass. Well, I was just thinking, man, like a Mad Max moped that had like these spikes that came out of the wheels, like with these <laughs> shredding things. So if people got too close to me, I'd just cut their ankles. Wow. Like, oh y'all. my God. Okay, we're done. We're done with that conversation because you had to take it too far. You took it way too far. So I just want to say thank you so much to Erica Chase for you know speaking to us this week. We really appreciate it. We look forward to seeing what you do in the future. And thanks to Lee for setting everything up. You know, the interview, we really appreciate that. Yep, and you can check out her first song yep. um, through the link in our profile. Mm-hmm. We'll also have a wink, uh, a wink, a wink to her website. Well. <laughs> <laughs> a wink to her website. We'll have a link to her website right in the show description, so be sure to check that out. Well, yes, and while you're checking her out, feel free to check us out at highregardshow.com. And if you feel like writing into us, do so at highregardshow at gmail.com. And you could always find us on social media as High Regard Show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you all next week. Peace out, Cub Scouts. Good night.